0: Our team at Rolling Bones Outdoors is here to help you create memories that will last a lifetime. Are you ready? Let's hunt the world. Thank you for listening and joining us today. My name is Brian Maiman. I'm the co-founder of Rolling Bones Outdoors. We are going to launch and talk to you about the Hunt the World podcast by Rolling Bones Outdoors. We're really excited about bringing this to you. I'm here today with Brian Martin and Brad Dana, and I'm going to introduce those guys here in a second. They're going to be very instrumental in helping us roll out all of what we would like to give to you guys over the next period of time as we bring this to you. But today I want to talk to you, or to start with, I want to talk to you about Rolling Bones Outdoors, who we are, what we do, and why we do it. We're a hunting resource. We started as a hunting resource. I was on a hunting trip, and I had a guide say to me, uh, he knew I was in financial services, and he said to me, you should start a company that is like your financial services company that gives education and information to the outdoors person and is a resource to them so they can go have their proper hunts and the outfitter struggles with having the right hunter in camp and the hunter struggles with finding the right outfitter. And so what we did is we thought we would start a company. We saw a real big need there. And shortly after that, I started uh, my recruitment process of finding the best resources in the outdoor industry. So that's who we are. What we do is we've created a very unique and specific software system that we went out over a seven to 10 year period. Brad, myself, uh, Brandon, Neil, you know, Brian Martin, a bunch of other guys, Tracy Valdez, Jim Bringhurst, and and, and, and a lot of more, and, and actually not a lot more, only a handful more. And we went and vetted, completely vetted a handful which became more than a handful of outfitters. So then we could offer this resource. We could have this database, this big book of business, that we could use this software to help match the hunter to the hunt. So we could specifically save people time, energy, and money so they weren't in a guessing game and or worried when they went into camp. So that's what we did. And uh, and then why we did it was we found out that there was a lot of fear in the industry, that we did a lot of surveying, talking to people, and we found out that a lot of hunters would love to hunt out west from back east. You know, we call it the buying belt, Minnesota, Texas, Texas to Florida, Florida to Maine. And the only reason we call it the buying belt is because it's such a large economic you know, force. They 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 are such giant hunters when it comes to whitetail hunting and predator hunting, and 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 they're so good in the outdoors. But they had a fear of. Where to even start now out, out west? You know when to start the application, how to start the application process, and so our resources had to be tailored to that audience. And what we found out is when we tailored that why to that audience, that it spilled over to so many other, uh, you know, really geographical regions. You know, a lot of people out west and all over the country, and now all over the world are taking advantage of our services and what we provide and so that's why we did it because we found out there was a big fear and then um you know really back to what it is that we help them with is we help them engage in whether it be their application service a concierge service to help them you know communicate with the outfitter to talk to that adventure that person that's going to be providing that adventure the customized web page we've built it it provides them an opportunity to have their own application and deadline alerts. It gives them a resource to build their own application and database in there. They can add information that they get from any one of the multiple resources out there and the multiple magazines. I'm sure some of these guys will speak to that. And then also, um, you know, the the gear making sure people don't waste money on gear. We have a a, a great gear research and, and store, a product store, that delivers that big eight or nine product systems that people need when they go out and go hunting. And so we spend a tremendous amount of time, effort, energy, and resources making sure that we organize gear, products, and services to be provided to you, the consumer, the adventurer, so you don't waste your time and energy. Because the big problem people face is the unknown. They don't know. And so we provide that education, that value, and that expertise. And we've assembled some of the greatest resources in the entire outdoor industry, whether it be our vetted book of business, or Brian Martin, who you're going to hear from today, or Brad Dana, or so many more that we're gonna have on this broadcast, in this podcast as we evolve. We'll be bringing in outfitters from across the world that are that are world-class at what they deliver. We'll bring in hunters and adventurers and fishermen that are members of ours, that have used our service so they can communicate to you their experience and and how they've used us. And you're gonna find out that each one's unique because everybody's issues are unique. After spending the last 27 years in financial services, what I found out for sure is everybody, every individual is a unique person and they all have their own questions and, and series of uh, confusions and problems. And what we want to do is identify them specifically so we can help you with whatever that is to get into the, into the adventure you want or get out of the outdoor industry that you're looking for. So anyway, I really sincerely appreciate you plugging in today. And uh, I'm looking forward to bringing this to you. I grew up rural Route 3, Waverly, Iowa, Loved to hunt and fish. Field, Fred Bear's Field Notes was my, my, right next to my King James Bible. My mom was a Lutheran, you know, beat my butt with a wooden spoon if I cussed, and uh, came a long ways from them, but all I ever wanted to do was read Outdoor Life and Field and Stream. We'll actually even bring you Jon Snow, one of the, uh, the shooting and uh, rifle editors for that magazine. But anyway, I, I'm sitting here thinking of all this stuff that we're gonna be able to bring you and provide to you. And I was just a kid that grew up in Rural Route 3, Waverly, Iowa, that loved hunting and fishing, that went on and became a butcher, went from being a butcher to financial services, and now own a hunting company, and uh, wouldn't change my life for the world. But we really did find this uh, uh, company and founded this company to offer you a resource to help you get whatever you want out of that. So we appreciate your time listening, Thanks again for coming out. And I'm going to turn it over to the great Brian Martin. Brian Martin and I met about three years ago. And I don't want to say it was love at first sight, but because that's not anything I would ever think of when it comes to Brian. But the quality of uh, and the value that he brings to us is just absolutely amazing. And our partnership with him and his involvement in Rolling Bones Outdoors is, is immeasurable. And he just does a great job with us. So thanks for being here, Brian. And uh, thanks for everything you've done for us. And um, we're looking forward to gr- building a great company with you. And uh, I'll turn it over. I'd love to have you tell him your story and where you're at with all this.
1: Well, thank you, Brian. And um, yeah, I, we met, I believe, about two and a half or three years ago at one of the trade shows in Utah. Through one of our mutual clients, uh, Tracy Valdez, and he had hunted with us in Marco Polo and um, Tajikistan, and he's a great hunter and um, good shooter and just a great all-around guy. And he introduced the two of us, and he thought we would have a lot in common. He thought we could compliment each other, you because of your business and sales background, and me because of my you know, I guess undying um, passion for hunting. <laughs> um, but people ask me how I got started in hunting. And i have been hunting with my father since I was very young. Um, we grew, I grew up on a farm and ranch in rural Oregon. Uh, the nearest neighbor was two miles away. So, you know, I was riding around on tractors and combines and uh, packing a BB gun as early as I could remember. Um, our, every year we always took a lot of time and went deer hunting on the property. And Dad would invite friends from his college professor and a guy that used to own a local sporting store and a few other friends. And I remember going with him. I could barely, hardly walk, and I'd try and keep up. And and then as I got older, you know, I got to being more involved. And I got pretty big. <clears throat> I was pretty tall when I was young, so I was able to shoot a 243 by the time I was 8 or 9 years old in a 12-gauge. So I always did a lot of bird hunting. And then after school, when I was, I don't remember, second, third, fourth grade with a pellet gun, I would raise, you know, heck with the squirrels and the uh, birds. And then as I got older, I when I... Dad had a multitude of Outdoor Life magazines that uh, he stored in the attic, and I would go up there and read and read and read all of those and his African books like John Hunter. And so that kind of got me into it. You know, the Jack O'Connor, the other guys that did the crazy things in, in the Yukon and Africa. So all these really good adventure stories from, I would say, the Outdoor Lives were in the 50s and the 60s. Back when stone sheep hunts were a few thousand dollars, you and
0: I had a parallel life. My grandpa had all those too, and I couldn't get enough of them. And I had a Crossman air pump BB gun, and there wasn't yeah, a that's what I had. There wasn't a squirrel, a sparrow, or a starling that was safe. Yeah, I used
1: to do yeah,
0: a lot of crazy things.
1: Um, but I w- everywhere you went on the farm, you could take a gun with you. You could go to the school with a 22 or 12 gauge in your car in a gun case. Nobody cared wasn't like it is now right, gun-free zones there was there was most ever all the guys had some kind of gun or pellet gun in their car Uh, and then I went to college at Oregon State University and um, I always wanted to go guiding up in Alaska or Northwest Territories or Yukon or BC or someplace and I finally met an outfitter that was originally from the U.S. and he invited me said we'll just come up and see what it's like and you can come in and trail in horses with us and I did that for Two seasons, trailing horses, helped pack and wrangle. I couldn't work there, so I couldn't guide, but I was able to see the country and learn what it was all about. And then I did that for two years, took off one term even for in the fall semester, and um, stayed up there until mid-October and helped them trail horses out, and it was kind of a wild ride. Cold, and the climate sure changes in three and a half months. And then finished my engineering degree and said, you know, I really don't want to be an engineer. I'd rather do something in the hunting business.
0: Your mom was so proud.
1: Yeah, so when I graduated, um, I, um, I, I I guided full time for six months from about June fifteenth until December fifteenth. I took two weeks off, and in those two weeks, basically I was hunting for myself. It's the most time I've ever spent in the field to this day. As long I did 192 days that year, including graduating from college. I kept track of every day.
0: <laughs> you you have a problem?
1: Yeah. I don't do that much anymore. In fact, I'd rather spend quality time though than than do 200 days of like so-so trips. I'd rather do 100 days of really cool trips than 200 days of trash or not trash, but you know, just like grinding. For me, like every some guys like to shed horn hunts. Some guys like to do this. I like to do big adventure hunts like with stone sheep and grizzly bears. So you you can't do those 200 days a year. (laughs) Your body wouldn't hold up, and the seasons are not open. But anyway, I moved. So after I did, I just said, well, I don't really think I want to just be a guide either. So I went into consulting for outfitters and ranchers with real estate and, and outfitting areas. I did that for several years in Montana. And then during that time, I would go back and forth to Canada, look at hunting areas starting in 1997. And um, I f- bought in hunting territory in 99 and moved up there in 2000. And I'd been outfitting, I was outfitting full-time in Canada through 2010, 11, and since 2002 in in, um, Central Asia on a more on a part-time scale, and so I've done Asia more full-time now. And so I've kind of played the gamut of a guide, a packer, uh, an outfitter, um, a consultant. Um, I wrote a bunch of articles uh, for about five years for the Hunt and Fool magazine, which is a great publication. Garth Carter uh, was the founder. I started getting that publication back in 1996 when I moved to Montana. One of my outfitter friends there, he owned a lodge on the um, outside, I believe it was south of Butte, Montana there. He was a fly fishing guy. He said, you gotta get this magazine, Brian. You like to hunt. Start applying for all these hunts. So I started applying for those and, and ended up, I drew a couple sheep tags in 2006. I drew a goat tag in 98, drew another goat tag in 2000. So, I mean, getting involved with the, you know, the hunting fool was great for me. And, um, and then meeting you guys, you know, we have a different, you guys, because of technology and the internet, we have a, a different ability to reach more people and, uh, you know, having an interactive online hunt catalog and hunt planning ability is really unique in the industry. It's kind of like a matchmaking travel slash dating slash hunting service. Um, but at the, en- at, at the end of things, I'm, I'm a do-it-yourself I love, hunter. I like that analogy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but at the end of the day, I'm a do-it-yourself hunter, and um, I'm kind of an idealist a little bit. So sometimes guiding is always a bit of a compromise for guys like myself, but if I had the right clients, I love guiding. And for me, I take it very serious, you know? So, but at the same time, I try and laugh. I, I mean, I, I think I was probably a little bit too serious sometimes. Now I understand that as I've got older, that I you, not everybody can run up the hills when they're 50 years old, like when they're 22. And, uh, you know, you have to take care of your health. You have to take care of your, you know, you have to take care of your shooting ability too. You never take your shooting for granted because you owe it to the animal, you owe it to your guide uh, to shoot really well. For me, that's a huge pet peeve, guys that don't shoot well or don't practice. Um, because that's something you can control for sure. Not everybody's going to be a great shot, but, and not everybody's going to be a great athlete, but as you do your best and have a great attitude, that's the most important thing. So I've done a lot of hard hunts over the years, done over 100 hunts that are over a week long without getting resupplied, and most of those are all backpack hunts. And then who knows how many that are two, three, and four-day trips. But, yeah, so my body's still working. It's not working as good as it did 20 years ago, but it still functions. The brain's probably a little stronger, so that helps, and the trigger finger is probably a little more practiced. But in general, I know I love the hunting business and I like to share my knowledge with people. And um, luckily, my memory still is not too bad, so I remember most of the stuff that I've done.
0: Excellent. You're a great resource for so many people, and you provide such an incredible value with your ability to articulate things and your knowledge. You're an outlier in the industry. And uh, um, i got to tell you, from my perspective, I love working with you every day, and I learn something new. Um, Not always what I expected to learn, but I learn something new every day. I do have one question before we go to Brad, okay? And I know this is our intro, and we're helping everybody with hunting the world, and you're going to provide so many people with so much value. But how does a guy who professes to be and proclaims to be a DIY, do-it-yourself hunter, become an outfitter in a place where you can't do it yourself no matter what?
1: How do you do it? I mean, if you can't beat him, join him. I mean, the reason I moved to British Columbia originally was to be a to be a resident hunter up there, so I could go hunt stone sheep and grizzlies without a guide. But at the same time, I don't mind being guided if you have the right thing. I look at guiding as kind of a real like a friend relationship. I tell if I'm uh, if I'm with a hunter, I try not to treat them like a client. I treat them like I'll, that's why I'll tell them if they're doing something dumb, I'll tell them. But I also try and encourage them and teach them and educate them. So I did this one. So for me as a do-it-yourself owner, you can only hunt so many places DIY. You can't hunt Africa right. other than a couple places, and then it's risky. You know, you can hunt New Zealand, but most places you can't hunt DIY. You have to, if you want access, most of the world outside the United States is allocations and exclusive guide areas and private land or government leases. It's not like here, we only, we're one of the only countries in the world, us in Canada really, in parts of Australia and New Zealand, where people can just go hunting willy-nilly for a few hundred dollars if you're a resident in the state. I mean, that's what makes the US, what what makes sending here the best and the worst is that everybody can go hunting for fairly cheap still, but it also makes things the worst because you can't manage a resource properly. When everybody's trying to take a big piece of the pie, um, you know, your resource is much harder to manage than if you have a Texas ranch or if you have a a, a big hunting concession in Tanzania and you're the only people that hunt in there, whether it's resident or non-resident. When you can control that, you have a much better quality of, of big animals. for, But hunting is not always about big animals, but anybody who says they're not a trophy hunter, that means they probably hunt, haven't hunted long enough because at the end of the day, you most people do strive. For after they shot a couple elk, they want a little bit bigger one. They shot a mule deer, they want a little bit bigger one. Just natural. If you drove a go-kart, eventually you want to drive a Corvette, for example. You know, you drive an ATV, eventually you want to own, right. a, own a Ford F-150 or something. So, I mean... Um, Hunting is very personal, though, and you try and listen to the person and match uh, the right hunt for them. Some guys have a $500 budget. Some guys have a $500,000 budget. Right. And so the nice thing about Rolling Bones is we can put each of those people and give them some useful information and give them a useful hunt. Maybe some guys save five years for an odd, odd hunt. Another guy does three African safaris a year. Right. So, I mean, there's hunting is a very, very personal thing. And uh, so we try and make sure we can provide that information for a wide gamut of, uh, you know, different kind of hunters.
0: Great point. Great point. Our, our next uh, our, our next guy who's going to be a giant part of this is Brad Dana. Brad Dana and I met coaching our kids' Little League baseball team, and uh, he told me he was a big hunter, and I've heard that before. No, he tells the story actually better <laughs> than I do. Um, but Brad and I honestly hit it off immediately and, uh, it was just a crazy, crazy hunting fool. Like, like we all are. And, uh, um, and we just hit it off and started, uh, going hunting together. So anyway, I'll let Brad tell you his story, but Brad share,
2: share with everybody who you are and,
0: uh, your role here.
2: Thanks, Brian. Uh, yeah, that is exactly how we, uh, met and your kids are still playing baseball, man. One more year for you, huh? Right. How exciting. Um, So I was born in Deadwood uh, quite a few years after uh, Wild Bill was there. Um, The hospital was cheaper than the Spearfish Hospital. I grew up in Spearfish. Uh, My dad, uh, he was not a hunter, but he enjoyed, you know, shooting and and stuff like that. He took me, he got me a shotgun, a 12-gauge semi-automatic, the old 1100, and we cut down a stock when I was nine years old and I started trap shooting. I think I ran my first 25 when I was 10 or 11. And, uh, you know, I've kind of been hooked on the shooting sports. I've really enjoyed that. I've been distracted enough, you know, with uh, life to not get super serious. But I would say it's a, a, an important pastime in my life since I was nine, 10 years old. I, uh, I found a, I found a mentor in rifle and long range shooting when I was at uh, the medical center in Nebraska and uh, started, sh- I did my first long range competitive contest in like 92 or something. And he was a great mentor and I learned a ton from him. It's when I started dialing scopes. Uh, grew up in spearfish. Uh, used to read the old mountain men books and uh, hunting was in my DNA. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't inherited by, you know, my dad didn't give, give me the experiences. He just didn't do it. Um, and for some reason I wanted to do it. I remember dreaming and having trouble falling asleep because I was dreaming about going deer hunting and I would never seen it or been exposed to it when I was a little, little kid. So it's funny how that happens. And, uh, went to school and spearfished, you know, did all the, did all the athletics, whatever, went to, uh, to college, played football in college. As soon as the season was over, I was hunting. And uh, off to, off to Nebraska, I went and uh, got my degree there and moved back to the same town where I grew up, you know, spearfish. Uh, and, uh, you know, we just, carried on from there i have i I work in a group practice and uh, that is one of the things that enables me to spend a lot of time in the outdoors because i have a group of um it's a family practice father and two sisters and we all work together exceptionally well and they cover for me when i'm gone and uh, that's pretty neat i have a wife and three kids and my wife covers in the dad duty for me a lot and uh she runs kids around still and does the gymnastics thing and back and forth. And so uh, that enables me to do what I do. Um, I started out applying for tags in the West. As soon as I was done with dental school, I remember the preference points at that time cost seven bucks. And when I started, it was hard to scrap up the seven bucks for a couple of these. So that's why I have different numbers of preference points <laughs> for some of the species. And I was also thinking y'all like that takes a thousand bucks I could never afford that if I drew it well I didn't understand at the time that I probably wasn't going to draw and I wished because then I'd have then I'd have been right at the top of the game because in a couple of states I'm a few years behind but uh my most preference points I have 28 points I just looked at it today for an elk tag and uh you know so I've been playing this game for a long time And the rules change, the games change, um, the way they do things change. And so it's an evolution and just trying to figure things out. And that's one of the things that we're good at is helping people figure it out and even get started. I would say that's one of the, the, the key things that we do is for people who have no idea how to get out here and how to hunt. We have a lot of Eastern hunters. They don't even know about preference points. They don't know about applying for tags. And, uh, and there's a strategy, and you can help give them a strategy and develop a plan. And pretty soon, they're out here on a three-day antelope hunt, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can go hunting out west. That's a blast. I saw more animals in one day than I've seen in five years hunting back home. And, uh, and the next thing, they start with a three-day antelope hunt where they stay in a motel. The next thing, they're in a wall tent in Wyoming elk hunting. And heck, pretty soon they're applying for sheep points, um, and they they evolve into their first doll sheep hunt in Alaska or wherever, and um, that that that's that's no different than like when I found Dennis, my my uh, mentor for long range shooting, who had a range out to five hundred yards, and he had the, all the silhouettes laid up at his place, and he started taking me out. I was shooting a pump two seventy, <laughs> and. Uh, we can be that same resource for people and get them into a comfort zone that they've never, they've had no idea how to even attempt to do it. So it was way outside of their comfort zone. And I would say that's one of the biggest things that we help people do. And once you give them a little taste of it, then they're off and it changes, it changes the whole dynamics of how they do it, what they're going to do, when they're going to do it, etc. So, that's kind of my story.
0: Well, I appreciate it. That was really good too. It's, it's, it's good. We just wanted everybody to get to know who we are and uh, what we do and uh, what it might mean for you specifically we want to be a hunting resource an adventure resource and an outdoor resource for you whether it be our our membership services with our applications and uh, the ability to help people get a strategy like brad was talking about going out west or whether it be to experience hunts all over the world even even one of the things that brian and i've been in the industry a long time but you said a couple years ago is you got to get down and shoot these free-ranging audat in texas and there's so people that have no idea that we have a free ranging audit opportunity in Texas. And there's just lots of resources like that, that with your guys's experience and, and this podcast being broadcasted out to so many, we encourage you to share it. Let everybody know about our membership services What Brad referenced, being able to get people applying, get them a strategy. Um, our, our hunt the world zoom broadcast on Tuesday evenings and Friday evenings at 7 uh, PM central time. We run those. They're they're absolutely amazing. We have world-class outfitters and adventurers from all over the world do really a photo streaming video that we go through and do a slideshow. Um, we interview the outfitter, we interview the hunter, what we provide, where we're at, it's super visually stimulating. That number, if anybody's interested, is 314-896-6854. Just go to Zoom, the website Zoom in the middle section there'll be a uh, little box that says enter your number to your uh, join a meeting. yeah join, join a, a meeting, meeting it says and all you do is put in there join a meeting 314896 six, eight, five, four on Tuesdays or Fridays. And you can watch a slideshow from all over the world with everything that's going on in the world. We've had a great response from that. People get to plug in and see it. And Brian, you've run two thirds of those and probably continue just with all your resources. And it's amazing, amazing to see the places in the world and the adventures that are out there. It's not as expensive expensive as you think and it's not unattainable. We help people take the first steps to engaging in their dream hunts and their adventures. Whether it be with our hunt layaway, our customized dashboard, whatever that resource is that we provide for you, we're here, we'd love to engage with you. Thanks for tuning in today and listening to this and we will be bringing more of these with super specific details on how you can go achieve more out of the outdoor industry. So. From all of us at Rolling Bones Outdoors and Hunt the World Podcast, thanks for tuning in.